All right, here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is episode 76. 76. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I I was setting you up to to do a little little music man. Little music man. 76 trombones in the big parade. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the only part of that line I know. There's all sorts of other stuff after that. It's like the, you know, it's like the Christmas song with the uh, doves and 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 uh, trees and dancing. Are you seeing the Twelve Days of Christmas? You're yeah. comparing seventy six trombones to the. Well, they list a bunch of stuff, right? They do. They they explain all the different kinds of instruments and how many of them there are. You, you're right. You, you are right. So that's it's similar. I I will say the Music Man is one of those um, musicals that delivers, you know? I mean, it's set kind of like in time. It's kind of frozen in time. And there's some kind of like, you know, some clunky things that maybe haven't aged well. But the music is pretty awesome in, in The Music Man, you know? All right. There's trouble right here in River City. <laughs> right, right here in River City. <laughs> That's trouble with a T that rhymes yeah. with P that stands for pull. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yes, there you go. Hey, this is Ollie. And this is Scott. And this is not uh, <laughs> no. songs that ha- count things, the podcast. <laughs> no. This, this is science in between. Uh, and there's not there's not trouble here in River that, City. No, but that'll be our next podcast. Songs <laughs> that count things. So, oh, uh, wow. 12, 12 right. Days of Christmas. The, I'll put that in our planning document. The trombone <laughs> song from Music Man. I don't know if there's anything else, but those yes. two. Oh, hold on. The violin femmes, you know? <laughs> you know, there's a violin femmes. Yeah. They count yeah. and that's one song. They do. Yeah. Do they, do they, <laughs> do they count things though? Or are they like naming things? No, they're like making it's a list. It's yeah. a numbered list. Yeah. Not <laughs> like new <laughs> It's a numbered list song. Yes. Uh, Oh, that's a whole, that's another episode. That's <laughs> a whole genre of yeah, numbered list songs. Yeah. So, Speaking you know, after, of numbered lists. Right. That, this is a numbered list uh, episode. And after the, the raging success of the movie Science in Movies yeah. episode, yeah. just a couple episodes ago, uh, Scott and I decided to do one around books. Yeah. It quadrupled our listenership. Wow. It was, it was <laughs> explosion. It, it actually it had no effect whatsoever no, on our not at all. which yeah. is not surprising really, but interesting. I did. I did have someone say that, you know, they were, they were going to uh, jump forward to the, the, the joys. And then they realized that there was no joys because there was an all joys episode. That's kind of like this. This will be an all joys episode. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. So these are all things that have brought us joy in our lifetime that are books. And I guess we should probably frame this just like we did with the movies. It's yeah. got to be like science where science kind of plays a role as a character or kind of is like integral to the story. And I, I got to say that it's got to be science that could be accurate at some other point. Like we're not, you know, none of this, you know, there's no star Wars stuff on my list or no. Star Wars. no. So it's got to like represent science in some sort of like accurate way. Legitimate way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to it's, think, I don't think any of mine just looking i don't think any of the ones on my list ha- are even fictional i think they're all non-fiction really yeah. oh i have a i have a couple non-fiction on mine well, that's all right yeah all right you mean a couple of fiction yeah, yeah a couple of fiction and yeah, a couple of non-fiction yeah. so i got a yeah. mix i got a mix all yeah, right mix it mix it up since i went first with the movies oh i think you should go first with the books all right okay all right well, um, my first one that as soon as we started talking about books that were about science, I have to admit this one jumped right into my head and not for those of you who can't see at home, because none of you can, 
uh, except for Ollie. Um, I see it every time, every time a, a picture, I have a picture hanging behind me on my, my office wall at home, which is of Richard Feynman teaching physics at Caltech. Um, and he is, uh, standing there in a white collared shirt in front of a chalkboard, like old school chalkboard. Yeah. Um, and he's probably teaching quantum electrodynamics or something, but the, his, his lectures were famous. Um, but the book I'm going to recommend is Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, which is a collection of stories about him that he wrote uh, that are just, you know, wonderful. They're funny. They're um, they really describe sort of a scientific mind to me, like the kind of curiosity he has. Like he was on the um, he was on the um, Manhattan Project. So he worked on the atomic bomb, but he was very young. He was in his 20s. Um, and he was, I think, the youngest scientist there. And he, one of the stories is about how he was, he became a safe cracker. Like he became bored at, at, with other stuff. And so he started learning, he taught himself how to, how to open locks. Um, uh, and so he was always breaking into stuff. Wow. <laughs> the, like the That's top cool. secret base, uh, where they're, where they're building this, this like doomsday weapon. He's like being a goofball and, you know, playing bongos and, uh, and safe cracking. So he, you know, like so many of our, our, uh, people of that era, they were, they were not un, uh, uncontroversial or problematic in some respects. His personal life was a bit of a mess. Um, but the stories are great and funny and they do, um, I think give you a sense of what I imagine when I think about scientific, like what it is to be scientifically literate. Um, because he really is just a guy who's curious about the world. I mean, he taught himself calculus when he was like, I forget how old he was, but it was like nine or something, you know, from a book, um, and he invented, you know, I mean, he's, he invented a whole area of physics. So he's, you know, he's just a remarkable dude in that respect. So, um, yeah, surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman. It is that's a, uh, high that's quality. A good, that's a know. good choice. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I, well, there was, there was one with, uh, his lectures. There's a book or yep. his lectures. They're that recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. his lectures, like I said, they were famous and, and people would go like other physics professors would go and just sit in his lectures because um, they would learn so much about physics. And he was just a very dynamic and interesting guy. Right. So he was, he was fun to listen to. Um, but, yeah. So my first book on my list is uh, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks yeah. Yeah, with Rebecca Skloot. It's on my list too. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it might be. Uh, yeah. So uh, this it, it's it's a it's a difficult read from a not not necessarily from a narrative standpoint because I think the re- reading uh, is and writing is really accessible. Um, but as a science, somebody who's in science, it's hard to see the you know the ethical you know challenges that scientists have gone through and. And the outcomes of that, positive and negative. And so um, the book focuses, in case you haven't he- uh, heard of the book or, or seen the movie, they made a, uh, Oprah Winfrey made a version of it um, with, um, so basically it follows um, the descendants of Henrietta Lacks, who uh, are all in like the, you know, Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area, mm-hmm. who, um, 
you know, Henrietta Lacks was a, a woman who died um, from, from cancer, from ovarian cancer. Um, and they had taken some of her cells and they found that the, the cells would just live and they would live outside of reproduce, um, reproduce and, and, and so it became a really important part for studying cancer and studying all sorts of things. However, um, the Lacks family never received any compensation. Actually, they didn't even know. They didn't even know, yeah. They didn't even know that the cells were taken. And so, um, you know, jump forward a bunch of lives. Uh, a couple of years later, decades later, um, one of the um, children find out that, you know, Henrietta Lacks is like this famous name in science. And they received no compensation. They received, it, there was no uh, informed consent. There was no, so, I mean, it, so there's a lot there to to unpack in terms of the ethical things. And those of us who work in institutions where we do research, um, the institutional re- review boards that didn't exist and now do exist, um, I think it's a it's a difficult read. But I think for those of us who work in science and are interested in the ethics of science and the ethics in general of of the work we do, I think it's just a it's a really good lesson. Um, yeah. And we actually had it as a, a campus book read for our freshmen. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it was, it was great. A lot of great conversations happened around it. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating book. And the whole, just the whole idea of, I think at one point when they're talking with, I think it's her, Henrietta, Henrietta's granddaughter. I forget who, who it is that they eventually contact to bring in, but I think it's her daughter. I think it's her is daughter. It, is it her daughter? Um, but they're saying to her, like, these cells are so prolific and have been used so much and reproduced so often that, you know, it's like a stack of them would reach the moon. Like it's some crazy amount right. of just like these cells um, are are everywhere. Like they 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 are a mainstay of biological research, and yeah. and they were taken from this woman without her consent as part of a study that was deeply unethical. Yeah, um, and beyond just the taking of the cells from her, like everything about it was pretty creepy and. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it helps you understand the relationship of the black community to, uh, Johns Hopkins, um, and, and the universities in, in the, in, you know, in hospitals in general, but yeah, it, yeah, it is, it is a, what's still in that same era as kind of like the Tuskegee Airmen stuff, uh, the Tuskegee syphilis trials trials. And, you know, it's, it's just, I, it's really challenging for me um to look back and see the ethical um you know sidesteps that researchers and scientists took um yeah, yeah. well it was, they just uh, yeah it's so complicated like they they didn't treat the the folks in their studies like they were human beings human right I mean, right they, they basically treated them like lab animals yep <laughs> all right so that brought the conversation down i apologize yeah, but right. immortal life of henry, henry lax great book it is a great book and uh very very good um it is a very good book if you want to have a conversation about the relationship between science and race and and um yeah it's a great yeah. book. okay um so i am going to recommend uh a book that I think I credit with actually helping me both become interested in and understand what was interesting about biology. 
um, because I was a physics person and all my whole life, like biology was just like this memorization of terms. And I never, never connected with me as a, as a sub area of science. But David Quammen wrote a book called Song of the Dodo, which is a fabulous book. And I read it quite a while ago now. I don't, I don't even remember. And I've read it, I've reread it at least once since then, maybe twice. But um, it's a book about the extinction of the dodo. That's where the name comes from. But it's, it's really about island biogeography, which is to say how species happen, speciation through, um, you know, being separated geographically. Um, and that sounds boring as hell. I've got to admit, but I can hear is, people shutting the episode yeah. off right there. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, what did he say? About, um, islands, islands, um, speciation, I think speciation, is where yeah, that's yeah. where we lost everybody. Um, but it's a great, it's just a great book and he is a fabulous writer. He's one of those like, um, science writers that I would read. I've read multiple of his books, but this is the, this was the access entry point for me with Song of the Dodo. And, uh, and it's just, it's a great book and it helps you understand evolution and what, what did he, what species even are? Because I think, you know, as with so many things in science, we take for granted, we understand these things. And then when you really dig in, you realize, um, sort of like I recommended, um, the the uh, fish don't exist book right that right. it's 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 a similar notion of like where where do we come up with these taxonomies and what are they based on and what do they help us understand so it's a it's a yeah it's a fun it's a fun book it sounds sounds like it would be like having your teeth pulled but it's actually a fun <laughs> book so uh, song of the dodo so uh, m- my next book is actually one that. I recommend it as a movie. Um, I figured you were, I know, I, no pun intended. I think I know what you're saying, but go it's ahead. The, it's the Martian. The, <sighs> okay. you know, the Martian by Andy Weir. Um, I talked a little bit about this. I think when, uh, when I talked about the movie, um, you know, I think the, the book is better. The book is a better read. And it, and if you know a little bit about like how the book was created, um, Andy Weir was doing something else with his life. He, I think it was in computers or he was a programmer or, or something. And he was um, just writing this kind of like as fat fan fiction and putting them online chapter by chapter. And then it just kind of took off as this, mm. you know, he has, he has background in science and he, I think he just was like, okay, if we were actually going to go to Mars, what were the things we would need to have, you know, to live in Mars and, and all that. And the book I think is fascinating um, because a lot of things in actually have another book that I'm going to talk about in a few minutes where, you know, science is just like this minor character in the movie, but in the book, it's so much more central because a lot of there, there are pages and pages of in-depth kind of like explanations of things that are happening in terms of like we're talking, you know, when we talked about movies with with the Martian about how, you know, he went through about the things he needed to be able to survive. Um, well, those are much more in-depth conversations in the book where, mm-hmm. you know, he's talking about like the actual, you know, reactions that he needs to manage and the actual things he needs to do to be able to make the things happen. And, and while it sounds really dry, it wasn't at all. It was, you know, it was the inner processings of, of a scientist. And, mm-hmm. and that to me is, I think, fascinating. And it was done in such an entertaining way. And, and I think with the movie too, you know, one of the big parts of the, the movie was the, the journey to like the, the, the faraway station, 
right? And that's a much more central part of the book, which is, again, really tied to science because there's so many different constraints he was trying to manage to be able to do that. Um, yeah, so, you know, The Martian uh, by Andy Weir, definitely an awesome book, definitely an awesome movie, but the book is like m- most oftentimes better than the movie. Yeah, and he's got a new book now, so that's cool. Yeah, I, I tried to read the last one, which is the one that's like in the space station, and I got maybe halfway through, and, you know, I don't know whether it was because, well, I don't know, it was kind of like I, I found reading during the pandemic was really hard for me, like reading mm. for like pleasure reading for leisure was really hard for me. And so I've been trying to get back on that horse this year. I've been doing better. So I might, I might go back and cycle back and see about picking that book up and see how it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. He just project Hail Mary just came out and that's, but it's getting good reviews. All right. But yeah. So who I'll knows? Check, I'll check it out. Check it out. All right. So you got uh, number three, what's on your, what's third on your list. So uh third on my list is another um, person who, wrote a lot of books. So David Quammen wrote a lot of books. His are very diverse. Um, but the, this guy uh, is Oliver Sacks, and he's written a lot of books too, but his books are almost all about neurology and psychology because that's the kind of scientist he is. But um, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat is the book that oh, I'm yeah. going to recommend. And it's a collection of stories um, that he wrote about his life as a neurologist and the patients that he met and some of the fascinating cases. And and it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a, a great um, example of uh, a working scientist uh, who is able to translate his work and the way he thinks about the world into these really charming stories that also help you understand yourself and the human condition. So, um, so he's, I mean, he's a great writer. He, he, I think he just passed away not that long ago. Um but he was, he's, he's prolific. He's written a lot of books and, um, and, but he's, uh, he's just, you know, a fascinating guy and, uh, and a really, really nice author and fun to read. So, um, they're all about people who, you know, that the title comes from a little, literally one of his patients who, um, I don't remember the condition, but he, he couldn't, he couldn't tell objects apart. Um, he had had some damn brain damage and so he couldn't, he literally couldn't tell the difference between his wife and a hat. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, uh, there was, a, stuff. there was a movie with him and it, Robin Williams played him. Yeah. Is that right? And that's correct. Yeah. That's, um, oh, what is that called? I'll, I'll dig around while you're talking and, and find the name of that. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, uh, I can't remember now, but I, but yes. You are correct. There is a movie that is that's about his life in a more general sense. Sure. Um, but it's fictionalized, obviously. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but he's a great, you know, another one of these like great authors who writes lots of science books. Awesome. So yeah. my 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 book is my, my next book is relatively recent. It's from uh, 2020. Um, Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. And the author is Carolyn Criado Perez. And I have to say, I, I came onto this book um, from a podcast. So I was listening to a podcast or something on the radio or something. And uh, the author was featured and was talking about one slice of the book. Um, and then um, because of the role I had on campus, I was like, this would be a really good book to, to lead like a campus learning community around. Um, so at the time I was... Um, 
directing our professional development center on campus. And so um, I got a couple of my colleagues to lead a book group around this. And uh, the book is fascinating because what it does is it talks about how flawed science can be at times um, when it doesn't include women or their needs in the analysis or the data collection. And there's lots and lots of stories in which this impacts, you know, mm-hmm. the, the things that they, that, that happen, whether it's like controlled studies where they, you know, just say, okay, we're not going to, you know, include women in these controlled studies because of, you know, that complex menstrual cycle, you know, it might It'll totally mess up the data, mess up the data. So we're not going to include them. And, and that's, that is a conscious choice that some scientists make. Um, but because of that conscious decision, the findings and conclusions are flawed. And so, um, you know, whether it's designing, you know, medicine or deciding where to put, you know, um, train stops or bus stops or, you know, traffic lights, or there's just a slew of stories that she shares that, you know, examines how, you know, really taking and, and just like negating half of the population, Right. And just saying we're going to just like take 50 percent of the population and take them out of the data pool and not consider them all of the negative imp- impacts from that. And it is mind blowing. At times I felt sad. I felt sad mm. and inspired because, you know, this was it has um, at one point it is, you know, really poking its you know finger in the eye of the establishment. But the other part about it, it is illuminating. It is like, you know, showing and showcasing um, the unseen. And I think that to me, anytime a book can do that in such, in, in, in really good narrative ways, it's fascinating. She just draws on so many data sets and talks about the flaws of the data sets and the flaws of the research. It's fascinating. It is fascinating and troubling. And in a lot of ways, it, it's a really good bookend to the Henrietta Lacks things because mm-hmm. it what it says is that, you know, we're, we may be a little bit better. We've made, might've made some progress, but dot, 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 you know, and, and she showcases a lot of how some challenges are still happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating to see that, you know, we, we talk about the relationship between, you know, white supremacy and science and its impact on, on so many aspects of the way science operates. And certainly that's one of the big ones, right? Is, is the way that data is collected and thought about and uh, amazing that people thought it was okay to just say, yeah, we're not, we're just not including whole segments of the population because it's going to mess up the data, which of course isn't true, but, but is a weird way to even figure out, no, well, it, it's it's it doesn't mess up the data. It actually right. gives us a a right. better data, right? right. It gives us a, you know better data. Yeah. But yeah, sure, more, it's messier more general because it's, data, yeah. right? Because it actually represents the population of people that we want to study. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the parts is you know that is is difficult to it's difficult to square that circle. You know, yeah, for sure. Well, okay. So just briefly, Awakenings is the movie with Robin Williams and oh, that's Ro- right. Robert De Niro. That's right. That's based on the work of Oliver Sacks. D- didn't so, I think it got an Academy Award, I think. It I did, think it was, yeah. 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 So, um, 
and it's it's a great film and one of the it's one of those ones when robin williams was really shifting away from being a comedic actor into yeah. the more serious actor and it's uh yeah it's it's a fantastic movie but that is not what we're here to talk but, about because we're talking about books today to the side to the side yeah. So sort of following on your lead, I'm going to pull one out of my list here that's connected to what you were just talking about, which is um, Kathy O'Neill's book, Weapons of Math Destruction. Uh, um, I've heard of this book. Which is a great book about what you would expect it to be about, which is the increasing uh, impact of algorithms and AI on our lives. And um, it's it's a fascinating, you know, similar to what you described, right? I mean, it's it's both disturbing and enlightening at the same time. Um, but really she just looks at all the different ways that um, these algorithms that are built increasingly built into everything that we do um, have a huge impact on not our, not only our individual behavior, but on our whole society's operation. Um, and, you know, her main point is that, and this, this is the connection I see to what you were just talking about is these algorithms are data driven and then you have to take a step back and say what is that data that is being used to create these algorithms and to your point that data is is suspect right because it it because it has been uh, developed under this system of uh leaving out big sections of population or uh having a skewed um uh, skewed access to data or or the society creating that that bias built into the system so one of the examples she talks about is these uh ai um algorithms that are used in or algorithms i don't know if they're ai but they're they're um an algorithm that are used in sentencing guidelines for judges and so the data for individuals is put into this and it's and and it's basically predictive of who's going to be a recidivist who's likely to to recommit their crime. And then it gives you them a number. And then the judges use that number as a way to decide whether they should give them a longer or shorter sentences. Well, of course, it turns out that in our country, we incarcerate um, black and Latinx people at an alarmingly higher rate than white people percentage wise compared to the population, which skews the data. And so then those folks are more likely to be given um, longer sentences because we've already have a history of incarcerating them and incarcerating them for longer for more minor offenses. And so it's, it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. So really that's what the book is about is just unpacking some of those um, issues around how do we think about uh, the fact that we're increasingly asking computers to make part of our decisions for us. And, and that decision-making is grounded in data, but and so, so we say, oh, it's database. Like this is this is not this is objective. This is not biased. But her point, of course, is that well, the algorithms are as good as the data they're based on. And right now, right. a lot of the data that we have is not a, about about human beings and their social behavior in particular. But as we saw with Henrietta Lacks, also their medical uh, history. Um, that's not necessarily. Un, unbiased data that we are collecting. Yeah, but the algorithms are, are they're pulling data, but they're also, you know, sort of like a recipe. And those recipes are created by people, sure. you know? And so those, the folks, I mean, it's drawing on, you know, 
it's drawing on data sets and then, you know, you saying, okay, we're going to balance this part of this data set with this part of this data set. I'm trying to like really explain algorithms in the yeah. most simplest ways. Yeah. All right. And uh, in, in that process, whoever the person is who's writing the algorithm, you know, communicates their own bias and their own understanding of seeing the world. Like we did a, I, when you were ta- first talking about it, it was like, this sounds like another book that we read on campus. And we read a book called Algorithms of Oppression, mm-hmm. How Search Engines Reinforce Racism, which kind of has a different perspective on the same sort of thing, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, again, it's, it's, these things are, uh, it comes from flawed data sets. It comes from uh, biased algorithm writing. And it it has huge impacts on the things we purchase and mm-hmm. how we deal with you know you know people in jail and and so much and and I think the more that we recognize that you know I, I think the one in the one book they were in the algorithms of oppression the one story that they were talking about was how I guess Google created a uh, a tagging system for pictures oh, and yeah. and they were uh, and somehow the tagging system was using AI to do it. And was starting to tag people of color incorrectly. Mm. And, and it was, it became this huge thing. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's mortifying. It's mortifying because it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a challenging topic, right? Yeah, it is. All right. Well, but we have to take it up because it's Absolutely. so central to so many increasingly the way our society functions. So if we just yeah. say, oh, yeah, well, that's too bad. All right. So uh, I think for me, the next book, I'm going to move back to the fiction world is Jurassic Park. Um, I just remember reading this as a kid and I was probably like maybe middle school, you know, Mm -hmm. and when this book came out, I was just fascinated by it because, again, this is one of those like in the in the movie, there's only really two or three spots where like science takes a like a, a we talk about chaos theory mm-hmm. right um malcolm talks about chaos theory right mm-hmm. and then yeah. they talk briefly about the gen- genetic engineering yeah, um the frog dna and all right. that stuff yeah. but outside of that there's very little science in the movie but the book it's like and this is Michael Crichton at his finest, because if you've read some Michael Crichton, which I've read a lot of Michael Crichton, he's, you know, science always plays a huge role in whatever he does. And so, and he doesn't shy away from it. And he talks about it and he talks about like, whether it's Andromeda Strange or Congo or whatever, he like digs into the science and, and tries to teach you the science as, you know, as much as he can. Um, while also using it to drive the story. And I think that is the fascinating part for me. And I just remember I read it. My dad, who was also a science guy, read it. Um, and we went to see the movie together because we were both like, you know, really excited to see what this looks like. And he just walked out and he was disappointed. He was just like, really? Really? Yeah, that's all you got. And there's like, an, there's like another movie coming out. Like this is like, they've made it into this gigantic yeah. franchise, which well, is so far away from any science. You know, now it's just like, you know, yeah. Crazy adventures with dinosaurs. Well, I, yeah. Well, here was I was watching uh, television this weekend, and a commercial for the Olympics came on, the Winter Olympics, mm-hmm. right? And so they had like a, a downhill skier, you know, s- standing there, and then dinosaurs were coming out of the trees in winter. Yes, and it was a commercial for the Olympics and for Jurassic Park at the same time because I guess there's a new movie coming out so it was that cross marketing and I just went 
Nah. No. Nah. Bad. Yes. So Jurassic Park, great book. Eh, meh, movie. But yeah. uh, the, but the science in the book is just it. Yeah, it's awesome. It's all right. Yeah. Oh, so boy. you got one left. One left, brother. One left. Um. Well, this is hard. I didn't, you know, I'm going to have to go back to the, when we do our next episode of this, I'll have to go and find more of the ones that are on, on the, like the Michael Crichton sort of sure. hard science fiction books. Um, but I don't have those on my list really. So I'm going to pick one that we sort of talked about a little bit already, but I'm going to name it. And, and, um, and it's another one of these writers who is, is a, does a lot of science writing, but is he's not actually a scientist. He's a writer and a gardener, but, um, but this is Michael Pollan and omnivores dilemma. So it came up, we did talk, we had talked about it. So I'm just going to name it. Um, so basically this book is the premise of the book is he has sections and each section he get, he tries to sort of get closer to um to the he gathering hunting and gathering all of the food himself and making a meal of it so he starts with like the fully most processed version so he starts with like a mcdonald's meal and talks about like corn and how central corn is to the whole meal um and talks about like chicken nuggets and the whole like whatever so he he does that from that and then he works his way down to sort of traditional agricultural and then he does this, um, I forget the name of it. I want to call it, it's, it's, uh, it's not resource intensive. It's like, oh, I'll think of the name of it. Anyway, I'll describe that in a second. And then the last one, he actually does like hunting gathering sort of thing. So he goes out and tries to, you know, kill a wild boar and cook part of it and gather all the, everything for the meal. Um, you know, it's like the salt, how do you get salt out of the ocean and, um, and use it. So it, it's some of the premise gets a little hokey. Um, but the idea uh, he's really exploring is our relationship to food. And in particular, the different, the sort of different ways we think about um, the producing and transformation, hopefully by yourself, but uh, of cooking this food and what, what that means to us culturally. But the one of the vignettes that I find the most fascinating is this one about a farm in Virginia um, where they, they have this kind of agriculture that I'm forgetting the name of right now, but it's, but basically it's um, intellectual, like uh, planful um, use of various animals. So to the guy who runs the farm talks about it as a grass farm, but basically what he does is he moves animals around um, in a way that mimics with the way that nature produces fertile, high production land. Um, and so he actually enriches the earth through this. So he actually gets better soil. So it's things like he'll graze cows on a section and the cows will go there and they, part of what they do is they eat certain plants. So they eat those plants down and they go to the bathroom and leave these cow pies. And then, then he moves the chickens onto that area and the chickens go in and they dig through the manure for grubs in the manure. Cause that's what they eat. And in the process, they spread the manure and then they go to the bathroom in this nit nitrogen rich, um, 
uh, poop that chickens have. And, and they, then they're moved off. And then he, and then they, he rotates this, um, these different animals around the farm. And he has this, you know, he has pigs and bunnies and has all these different animals. Um, but what he's really doing is producing better land through, through the use of animals, um, and it's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating story, right. To think right. about, like, if, go ahead. If I was going to predict, I, I, I thought that book was going to be on your list. Yeah. Gonna, yeah. Cause it, yeah. You, you've, you've, it's come up like the authors come up a, a couple of times over the yeah. last 75 episodes. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was something we just recently talked about. So yeah. I couldn't resist that one. I mean, sure. but you know, maybe people already know it, but if you don't know it, it's, it's worth a uh, read and if all you read is that one section about the farm in Virginia it's just it's an amazing way to think about farming for me it was you know I, it was not at all the way I think about how a farm should operate right like mm-hmm. this very untraditional but um but he uh you know he, he really you know to to use the Martians terms he really science the shit out of it and he really thinks about it as a as a scientific endeavor, right. To really improve the quality of the soil through, um, through active engagement with the things living on it. That's That's cool. cool. That's awesome. Uh, so my last book, so I'm going to kind of like tell a little story before it, like there was some research just a handful of years ago that someone had shared about, like they talked to scientists and asked them about the toys they played with as kids. Have you, you, do you remember Did you hear about this? Like, I don't think I did. And they found that like um, a lot of science folks played with like Legos and, Mm -hmm. you know, so they found that there was these, these common things that um, I think if you asked a certain group of scientists of a certain age, right. Mm Then and asked them books that they read in like elementary school, this would have to be on there. And I had to put them on their own because I just remember this was like the reason why I started seeing the world this way was encyclopedia brown boy detective there you go you know so i the you know i just i read all of them like as many as i can get my hands on yeah right it was the idea that uh he was i mean he wasn't solving murders or anything like that it was was just catching bugs meanie doing dumb stuff right right and it was awesome and i read like I just read them voraciously, right? It's just, and, mm-hmm. and I think it, what it did was it kind of gave me that disposition of seeing the world based on evidence, right? Mm-hmm. And basing it on like drawing conclusions from evidence. Mm-hmm. And because that's what he did in every single, he collected the evidence and then he presented it. And I think that from the earliest age was the thing that gave me the mindset of what it meant to be somebody in science. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you talk to a lot of folks, you probably would get something similar, maybe not that b- book series because there's mm-hmm. other ones, but that was that for me, it was very formative. So I had to put it on the list. I had to, you mm-hmm. know, just because, I mean, I had other ones that, you know, were potentials, but as I was you know, thinking, I was like, I can't like not put it on the list. I, it has to be there. So yeah. the encyclopedia Brown series, check it out. You know, if you have a kid, I don't know how well they would hold up now. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And my guess is they've probably updated them. There's probably some new version um, of Encyclopedia Brown, that, but I don't know. It's yeah, a good question. Either. Yeah. But yeah, the, it did seem like um, mysteries at that at that formative time, and maybe both of our lives, but certainly in my life, 
uh, there were a lot of books that I was reading that were mystery based. Like there were other ones that I, but you know, you can think of like the Hardy Boys series yeah. and Agatha Christie. And there were just, you know, that it seems like in the sort of Nancy Drew, Nancy Drew seventies, yeah. the seventies and eighties, like those big series of, of mystery books was, was a big thing. I always, I always felt like the Hardy boys and Nancy drew were a little bit more soap opery, you know, mm. from, from my perspective. And so um, the encyclopedia was all about encyclopedia Brown was all about like the data, you know? And to me, that was like really, you know, the part that I, I enjoyed, you know? So encyclopedia Brown. Check it out. Check it out. Yeah. So I say, do we want to do Joyce? Because this is like kind of an all Joyce episode. Yeah, you know? I, don't, I don't think we need to do Joyce again. I think this yeah. is, yeah, we got an all Joyce all the time sort of thing going on here. Yeah, I think, you know, this, while this is sort of like a pop, you know, two pop culture episodes, I've, I enjoyed making the list. I got to yeah. say that. I enjoyed making the list and figuring out what goes on the list and what goes not doesn't go on the list, you know. And no. yeah, it was, it was, yeah, preparation for this was a good time. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll, you know, we'll keep doing them. We'll come back to this, uh, well in the future. And, and if you're a listener out there and you're like, Hey, you know, there, how about this book? Or have you thought about this? You know, get, send us an email or drop us a, a line yeah. or something, you know, and we're easy to find out there. You know? We are easy to find out there. Yeah. Well, in Hey, thanks for being in here. Between, in yeah. Between. Yeah. In between. Yeah. We'll yeah. see you next time. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah. In between. See you then. Okay. Bye now. <laughs>